Where else can you go to not only find the information on how to train your dog, but the best deals on training equipment as well? Standing Stone Supply has everything you need to create that next versatile champion from DT system electronics down to even emergency med kits to take with you on your hunting trips. If you need some help with your training program, then their step-by-step -step online course might be a great fit for you, making it a convenient one-stop shop for the knowledge as well as the gear to take your training to the next level. Hit up standingstonesupply.com and promo code GDIY will save you 10%. As someone who constantly travels to new locations out of state to hunt, I have to rely on map scouting before I even get in the truck. Onyx Hunt Maps makes it super easy for me to plan out my trips as well as track my success while on the trip. The offline maps along with the tracking feature and ability to add pictures to my waypoints means I can always reference old trips and hunts to better prepare for the next. When planning your next hunt, be sure to use Onyx to put you and your dog in the best situation you can. Use code GDIY20 at checkout to save 20% and know where you stand with Onyx. Some of our logos say, you know, no prizes, no trophies, just results. We're just going to provide the data and we're a testing organization and that's it. We don't make any uh, judgment over who, what breed should run or what breed shouldn't. You know, how do you think all these versatile breeds got started way back when, you know? Why is it usually form or function when it comes to shotguns? You either hear about the looks or craftsmanship of this shotgun, while that shotgun over there in the corner hasn't been cleaned in two seasons, but supposedly fits and shoots like a dream. Why can't it be both? This is what Upland Gun Company does. They take your own personal measurements and will construct the very shotgun that should handle like a dream while getting you the looks and custom features that only you can decide on. Whether it's a side-by-side -side or over-under, English stock or full pistol grip, custom engravings such as your dog's portrait, even down to selecting the wood on your stock. Head on over to UplandGunCompany.com and build the dream gun that you would carry in the field with your dog for many seasons. All right, everybody, welcome back to another week of GDIY. Joining me this week is Jeff Funky from the Versatile Hunting Dog Federation. Jeff, how you doing today? I am well. Thank you, Nick. Happy to be here. Yep, I'm glad you uh, made time. I think that this is going to be a fun conversation. I think uh, the VHDF, for those that don't understand, don't or maybe aren't familiar with it or haven't heard of it, it's been around for, I don't know, what, about 10 years? Is that safe to say? Uh, a little bit longer than that, yep. I think uh, the roots uh, started in about uh, 2007, 2008. Okay, so you've been you've been around for a little while, and uh, so we're we're really just going to kind of break down everything that is VHDF and and what you guys are after. So go ahead, uh, start off, you know, introducing yourself. Tell us a little bit about you, and then uh, we can just jump on into the federation and and cover all the nuts and bolts on it. Sure. Uh, I don't know how far you want me to go back introducing myself, but uh, <laughs> in the in the dog world anyway, I I started off. Uh, in uh sophomore in college got my first uh wire hair and uh, i also had uh blue tick hounds and um did real well with those hunting actually that first dog uh ended up uh, running in navda and got a prize one utility with her and in fact uh when you i have to admit when you called me i had never heard of your podcast before but um it did interest me because uh gdiy i am totally self-trained and self-taught myself <laughs> i got my first bird dog was trained for that utility test with three pigeons that i borrowed 
from a good friend of mine and I kept them in a cardboard box in my garage. So, <laughs> so how did you keep reusing them? Were they actually hauling back and you'd go get them or were you, were you like carding them or having them uh, tied down? I was, back then it was cardboard and yarn. There were, there were no launchers. Uh, that was even, <clears throat> well, pre wagag I think Wagak might've just started making launchers at that time. And, uh, in fact, he's, he's down, he was down out of your area, but, uh, no, and that, that got me started and then, um, ended up, uh, after that got like so many people do got, got hooked on knobs and bird dogs and, uh, I'd work at the time in banking. And, uh, in 1998, I retired from that and started training gun dogs full time and participated in NAVDA, AKC, NASTRA, uh, JGHV, um, you know, in fact, judge for NAVDA for years, uh, judge, senior judge, clinic leader on the board of directors, uh, director of testing, director of promotions, that sort of thing. And somewhere along the line, uh, 2007, right in there, uh, we decided to give uh, VHDF a try, and uh, that's where we're at today. So you've kind of done it all when it comes to any of the groups with all the all the letters. You know, you can put put all of them together and spell something. But uh, so you've kind of done it for everybody, including NAVDA. So what was it about the VHDF in 0708 that caught your attention? Well, the, that was. The idea, believe it or not, was actually spawned at a, you know, knob that I think, I don't know if they still have them or not, but they used to have something called a judge's workshop, which if you were a judge, you had to attend it every three years. And I'm going to say 98, 97, somewhere in there. Um, even back then, people were talking about, you know, we, we need a more granular system, more detail uh, the four point system wasn't quite good enough. And, and there was also the notion that the UPT test was, um, maybe a test that wasn't that valuable. So maybe they could make that more of a breeders type test and a few things like that just kind of got us talking. And there were, you know, as things go at these events, there was quite a bit of talk and, um, the idea came up to, to, changed the system and of course uh, the powers that be were vehemently opposed to changing any anything at the time so um, a couple of us started looking at VHDF and then when we actually decided to pull the trigger on it um, there were very few people that wanted to go along with it I think it was myself and Joe Schmutz um, who was also a, a very active judge at a uh, Saskatchewan, Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. Um, and he's a raptor biologist up there. And he and I pretty much uh, spearheaded it with the help of uh, some other well-known names, Ed Bailey and Bodo Winterhill. So uh, they were also active in the early days. Mm. And uh, we, we started it, we put the rules together and then we, I think we started running tests actually in uh, late 07 and 08. And, um, and it's pretty much unchanged since then in terms of um, 
the philosophy and the scoring system and the test rules and, and all of that. So that's really interesting. You know, it's NAVDA, you know, every organization, it's not just NAVDA, but every organization, you know, you get involved and there are certain things that you start noticing and you, maybe you want to change. But, you know, when you're dealing with a big group of people, like you said, you know, it's like you just kind of run into a wall sometimes. And instead of you guys sounding like just being disappointed or, or uh, disgruntled about it, you guys did something about it when started your own own organization and testing system. Exactly. We just uh, put together, you know, uh, Joe Schmutz is a um, very uh, interesting guy in that he he puts data down for everything. So he can probably give you more statistics about uh, NAVDA correlations between, you know, if parents score a prize one do the puppy score a prize one, that sort of thing. And he, he kept those statistics. And, and what he found, a lot of those correlations were um, pretty meaningless. So we were looking for a system that could uh, provide a higher level of um, granularity and give the uh, parents maybe uh, more genetic value based on a a scoring system that could identify unique individuals. And um, so, yeah, we offered it and uh, it took off pretty good. And then of course we hit the, the great recession like all dog clubs did. And, um, and it's been a, a slow bounce back from there, but uh, we are moving forward. In fact, I was just, uh, oh, I don't know, seven, 800 miles from you probably at a three-day test out in uh, Pennsylvania, mm. and uh, a lot of saw a lot of great dogs there, and a lot of lot of very excited and interested people out there. Well, and it's one of those things since I've been involved in this. You know, I've heard of VHDF here and there. I just haven't heard very often. You know, it's just like it just kind of pops in. It's kind of if you go on your website and look, you know, the the chapters uh, or the uh, what what do you call the clubs uh, in VHDF? It's kind of like they're montana minnesota kind of in that region so unless you're within that region maybe you don't hear too much about it but it does seem like i'm starting to hear a little bit more about it which is why i reached out to you and i've been curious because where it went from i might hear about it occasionally now it seems like i'm hearing about it pretty consistent when you go around to these you know navda chapter events or testing you know it's there are some people it seems like they're kind of starting to dip their toe in the water with you guys is that a would you say that you've noticed the same thing on your end yeah there's the interest has been phenomenal uh we we get calls from all over the united states and canada the participation level has been low because the infrastructure and the, the chapters or the affiliate clubs simply are not in place. I mean, it's like you say, you got, you know, Idaho, Montana, we had California, Washington, one in Canada, Michigan, Minnesota, and now Pennsylvania. So it's, it's, there's limited access. So you can go to different events in different venues, whether it's Nashville or AKC or, UKC or whatever, just about anywhere right now. But if you want to participate in VHDF, you're probably going to have to start a uh, an affiliate club. Yeah, and it's the good news about that is it's it's super easy to do. 
Um, you don't need much. You just need a club. There's actually an article on our website on how to do it. And, and in fact, I think you guys have done podcasts on it. But uh, first test is free. All you need are test grounds and birds. So we provide the judges and uh, you got to have the dogs and the handlers. So it's pretty easy to do. Yeah. And I'm, I'll, I'll put the link to the uh, start a club uh, page that you just referenced in the show notes on this. But, you know, it, again, just kind of going through a thousand foot elevation, looking at your website, kind of just seeing what it's all about is not to fast forward too much, but would you say that the, the, the primary focus or I guess you could say mission of, of VHDF is really more so getting the informa- information and knowledge back to the breeders and breed clubs so they can decide on how to better the lines of these dogs and not so much on the handler and dog getting titles or awards. That's, that's definitely a, a big emphasis. Um, you know, I think when, when some of these groups started like NABDA, they were an offshoot of the Euro type clubs and testing systems, which were more of a breeder breed club type tool. And then NABDA over the years, has um, morphed into more of a sport, um, and I and that they, they will admit that. Um, and and it's great; it's a great sport. That's a wonderful way to train your dog, and there's probably no better place to do it. Our emphasis is to pr- more so to provide information to breeders and breed clubs. So, you know, just a quick example. Uh, I, I see a lot of scores. Um, you know, maybe a dog gets a low search score, and I never saw the dog because the dog's from a different part of the country. But the dog had a lot of search drive, and it, maybe it even left the country. Um, so as a breeder, when you're reading those statistics, you're thinking, man, I need to put more drive into my dog so I get more search out of it. But in reality, maybe it's just cooperation that was the only issue. And so by having that... Um, uh, 10 plus point system uh, you you can see that a little bit easier and and definitely the focus is is on the dog and the abilities of the dog and and primarily the inherited abilities of the dog with no arbitrary priority as to which abilities are are greater than the other um, you know, desire, cooperation, pointing, yeah. it's all equal. And uh, so I think that makes it a little clearer. And if you're a breed club or a breeder and you want to prioritize one thing or the other, you can do that yourself with a 10-point system. You can do it really very easily. That's really interesting. And and so obviously I had all of this uh, on my list to, to hit throughout this episode, but we're here now, so I don't want to circle back to it later. Let's stay here on, on the scoring system. And ultimately, kind of give me your thoughts on why a 10-point system is better than the four-point system that you know most people are more familiar with within NAVDA. Sure. Uh, I think if you look at uh, the our 10-point system, the categories, most people, you know, we say 10 points, but there are categories and there's poor, fair, good, very good, and excellent. And excellent is actually plus 10, which would be um, a, a performance that exceeded your expectations and, and under difficult circumstances. 
and we'll we'll get into that later. I'll just stick to the ten if you're interested. I'll just stick to the ten point for now. Yeah. So a dog that um, is in a four point system is there. You're going to have the majority of the dogs are so good nowadays that most of them are going to be in that three to four category. In fact, I, I think probably sixty percent are going to earn fours or in that area. So how do you determine the best of the best it, when all of the dogs are scoring fours or, you know, that 60% are scoring fours? So we want to differentiate between, you know, that, let's say, a, a low four, an average four, and a high four, and a super high four. So that's where we have our our categories are three points each. So our very good category. So ultimately you're, you're just trying to paint a a more detailed picture and and add a little bit more context as you're telling the story. Well, yeah. And it's easy to do. If you, if you go look at, if you go look at our database, you can see examples of, of dogs or litters, for example, that get all tens and elevens or all nines and tens. And if I if I've never seen a dog search in Navda, and I think anybody would tell you this, and and again, not I'm not being uh, downgrading anybody here. I think this just offers something different. If I see a dog that earns a ten in a subject, I, I know it's going to be a dog that I'm interested in. If it's a four, was that seventy five percent, or was that one hundred and ten percent? true and i don't know the difference by looking at a database and 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 plus it's just simpler it it's it's just easier to understand i mean when we all went to school we got a b c's and d's and f's i don't know what they get nowadays but uh you know 90 percent and above was an a so that's kind of how it's designed yeah and and it makes sense just the more detailed you can get on the feedback the better uh i guess how's how's the testing or evaluation day set up i mean is it still done with three judges kind of similar to navda or did you guys change that up as well no three three judges is uh pretty important um we try to do three judges there's always you know some hiccups here and there but three really helps because Mathematically, if you look at our scorecard, uh, it's actually a scorebook. Three judges um, gives you an average to where um, if two, if you go into the same category and agree in the same category, even if you don't have a consensus, you're actually going to get an average within that category. So that actually works out really well. Easy to get a score on the card. No, no, argue, sitting there arguing. It's, I mean, if one guy has a has a seven and one guy has an eight, and one guy has a nine. It's it's pretty much an eight, and uh, just fits in really well there. And then as far as um, to score an eleven or twelve, that requires all three judges to score an eleven or twelve. So in essence, if you want to get a plus score. One judge has veto authority um, before you can get a plus type score. Interesting. And I guess I didn't really think about the uh, more detailed one through 10 kind of helping on the 
not the negotiation, but debate, I guess, on the dogs to where you don't have to narrow it down to just one through four. You do have the ability to where if I'm at a six and you're at an eight, then it's just, let's call it a seven and be done with it. That, that, that is kind of an interesting perk there that I didn't really piece together when you're describing yeah, the one through ten. You'd still be a, in, in, in a four-point system, you'd still be a three or, or whatever you're talking about, a three yeah. or a four. Um, and, but that way you get, again, you get the, the greater detail. And in the, in the case of, uh, you know, the exceptional scores where you're really like scoring all tens or that sort of thing, that, that truly, I think gives you, uh, the genetic value of the breeding or the parents in that particular case, because we have, you can do deep dives into our database and, there are litters where every single puppy tested scored over 70 points. And to just back up on that, each, each subject is worth 10 points and there's seven subjects in a natural ability test that we look at. Right. So um, if every single dog is scoring above 70 in a single litter, then you obviously that's a, that's a superb litter. And that's probably got some genetic component to it, not just training or grounds or, you know, luck of the draw type of thing. Yeah. And as a handler, say I sign up for VHDF, I come to you guys. First off, I guess let me ask, who can participate in VHDF? Can anybody, do you guys have restrictions on breeds or anything like that? Anybody can participate. If your dog is registered purebred, it will be uh, annotated that way in the database uh, if you provide a pedigree. And we also do not have our own registry so that if you're a Breton or a Brittany, you're going to be listed as a Breton or a Brittany. If you're a Deutsch Drottar, Deutsch Kurzhaar, whatever the breed, we, we include all of those registries in the database which makes it a little harder to get the data in there, but that way people can differentiate, you know, between, you know, German wire hair and Deutsch Drottar, that, that sort of thing. If the dog is not registered, um, or if it's say a pointing lab, they can participate. Very few do, but some do. Um, if it's registered, it'll be registered by whatever registry, they yeah. provide a pedigree for so and if it's not registered it'll just be listed as not registered and so, so if it's just a mutt and somebody wants to test a mutt they can test a mutt that's what i was about to say so you get asked you know not all the time but you do see it in navda it's like hey i didn't you know i, I don't have a versatile breed can i still test Sounds like VHDF has that covered. You can do it because you guys aren't a registry. You guys just have a database with test results. And so it's not like you're really going after a certain prize. Like you said, you guys aren't after any prizes or awards on this. Y'all are here just for the information on the dogs, pretty much. Yeah. Our, our, you look at our, some of our logos say, you know, no, no, no prizes, no trophies, just results. So, yeah, we're just going to provide the data, and we're a testing organization, and that's it. We don't make any uh, judgment over who, what breed should run or what breed shouldn't. You know, how do you think all these versatile breeds got started way back when? You know, somebody had to put them together from kind of a universal 
type hunting dog and they classified him by by hair coat quite frankly <laughs> and now we have what we have today so you know there could be somebody starting something new and they could use vhdf uh, to facilitate their their testing program because we you know we don't have any restrictions in that way and going back to the mission of vhdf is providing the information back to the breed or the breeders and the breed club so you guys are kind of passing off the registry and the breed standards to the individual breed club of that breed to where it's just you're just here to judge dogs everything beyond that falls on you as a responsible dog owner or breeder that's correct because you can there everybody every breed club every breeder has a slightly different goal and they also have different genetic material to start with you take the german short hair which is ubiquitous in uh navda and does extremely well but let's say you have a new you know let's say you want to bring the portuguese pointer and start breeding them in this country, you have so few breeding stock, you're not going to be running a bunch of invitational dogs. So you got to start somewhere and you could take our, our scoring system and plug it into your own uh, guidelines. Like there's a, there's a, for example, there's a, the large Munsterlander group up in Canada has their own guidelines requirements that the dogs have to score in order to obtain breeding status. And, and I don't know any of the details of it, but you know, they work all that out because they know the breed better than we do. We don't know the breed at all. So uh, we just judge it based on the set of rules that we have and how, how basically how that would apply to a hunting dog in a, in a wild bird hunting situation. Yeah. Let's jump into the levels uh, or types of tests that you guys have. And one thing, that I, you, you, again, you don't really call it tests. Y'all call it more evaluations because that's ultimately what you guys are doing, right? But it's against the standard. And so you have your aptitude testing, your performance testing, and your confirmation structure evaluation. Let's break down the two types of aptitude testing, if you don't mind. Sure. Aptitude is exactly what it says. And the distinction is there for a reason. Um, we are looking strictly at the aptitude of the dog. And so we're not, not ignoring the, the handler-dog relationship, but we, we're probably going to ignore, you know, if the handler is, is making some errors or whatever, and we're going to make a judgment on the dogs. And let's start with the, the puppy, the hunting aptitude evaluation. No, we're going to evaluate their nose, their search, their pointing, tracking water, desire, and cooperation. And those are each going to be evaluated pretty much independently. Um, and each one of those, each one of those categories, um, while there is some overlap, each one is pretty much going to stand on its own. So if a dog has a ton of search drive, prey drive, that sort of thing, and it, it, it searches hard, it may get a 10 in search. And if it's, let's say it's out of control though, and it's got, it's not hunting for the handler, that's going to be reflected in cooperation, not, not in search. And I think that's a, 
better tool for the breeder or the breed club to use to guide their future breeding programs. Right. And so that's your, essentially your puppy test, your, your hunting or hunter evaluation test or evaluation that whatever you want to call it. The next one is, is correct me if I'm wrong. It's the advanced hunter evaluation. Advanced hunting aptitude evaluation. Okay. I almost had it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so essentially that is for, uh, again, just for a reference point for those listening, uh, essentially the utility test in a way. No, um, this is a gun dog. This is the guy or the gal who's trained their dog to hunt and it should be trained to a level where you're going to be successful. It's also useful as a breeding evaluation. Um, and it's more than just like a natural ability, which to, to me, and I think many of the people that started this, the, the NA is not quite enough to determine if a dog is, is a potential breeding candidate because it doesn't show you the trainability and the dog's ability to take training. So this, this AHA test, as we call it, or advanced hunting aptitude, is really a cool test, and everybody that's done it just absolutely loves it because you got six categories that we kind of think are – pretty much inherited. Um, you're not going to change them. In other words, like field search pointing nose. that, you know, you're not going to change the dog's nose. So they have a multiplier of two. Then you have the trained subjects. So then there's six trained subjects that we test for steadiness, retrieve a shot bird, uh, blind water entry, that sort of thing, drag obedience. So those are only worth one point. So you could have a dog that has tons of talent, tons of inherited talent, but the trainer is not uh, superb. And it's still going to go out there and, and get a very nice score because the trained subjects are not weighted. You know, they're weighted at 50% of the inherited subjects. But the dog at that level, it can't be just a puppy that somebody pulled out of a box and had point a few birds and threw a bumper in the water for. They got to retrieve the hand. They got to be steady to flush. They got to do a drag. You got to be able to send them on a blind. Um, and so you now have a dog that is probably just about what I'd call a perfect green hunting dog that we all probably start with somewhere around year and a half old. And if you're not wanting to go all the way through utility and do all that obedience because when you do that you start to mask some of these inherited characteristics mm -hmm. uh, when you get to something like a utility level or an invitational level with today's equipment and training techniques you could take almost any dog that's got a reasonable amount of ability and and put a prize one on it and do quite well with it so this at this level, it's it's really neat to see the dogs that are still kind of green, kind of rough around the edges, but boy, they got the moxie and the drive, and and they've been trained to retrieve and and handle and be steady, but they're still they're still clicking their heels together and getting it done. 
And I, I, I can really get on board with that. I can appreciate that a whole lot, the difference between the natural ability subjects and the train uh, subjects, because I've spoken about this a number of times. And again, this is just my personal opinion uh, on the podcast, but I've said it a number of times. I don't, I, I don't personally like, I don't know if like is the right word, but I don't, I don't agree with when people hold their dogs back in NAVDA to get the max prize one score in natural ability. Because to me, if you have to train for natural ability, it kind of defeats the purpose of seeing the dog's natural traits. And so it sounds like you guys kind of took that mentality and then turned it into, let's have an even like more advanced natural ability test almost, if that's a fair way of putting it i think so i think so and a a more advanced natural ability test with a dog that has had a certain level of training you know you have to have some training to in most cases yeah to get to get what you want you know the retrieve and and that sort of and i love that and and even though the to be successful in this test, obviously there's some training required, like you just said, but you're still putting the emphasis on the natural ability of the dog by putting a two weighted factor on that, as opposed to the trainability where let's face it, a lot of people can hide a lot of stuff with training. You you, you can put a, you can put some lipstick on a pig and, and breeders do it right. You know, if they know the ins and outs of the test, you know, I'm not going to say that it's very common, and, you know, it's, I don't want people taking this like, oh man, everybody that does that or uses this information from that NAVDA is doing it wrong. I'm not saying that by any means, but we've all seen it to where somebody is training a dog or running a dog in natural ability at, you know, 15 months old and it's already been force fetched and it's already steady all the way through. Like they just passed a utility test yesterday. I've seen that twice now where somebody passed a utility test and then the next day run the NA and I'm like, what's the point of that? Yeah. Yeah, I, in fact, I was just going to, before you got there, I was going to say the same thing. I know people that absolutely will not run a NA test without force fetching the dog first because they're not going to risk it. So they're missing the point of the testing system. Exactly. And uh, the ability is what we have to breed for. The, the trainability is part of it. And you see that at the upper levels. But uh, let's face it, there are a lot of excellent, excellent trainers out there nowadays who, like you say, you know, they not only can they put lipstick on a pig, but they can teach that pig to pass the <laughs> invitational. So, so it's, it can be done. And uh, this, this is just kind of a, a way to allow a more relaxed environment for a breeder to have his or her dogs evaluated in a, in a third party system that, you know, has no criteria of their own other than what's already set forth and give feedback to the, to the breed clubs and the breeders. And um, you can make your decisions going forward from, from that data. Yeah. So let's get back to the levels of testing. We covered the two aptitude tests. What's the performance testing? Yeah. Performance testing is 180 degree different than the other two. So the performance is pretty much a a show me type deal. Um, The nice thing about it is 
it can be run anywhere, any part of the country on any given test where they have the facilities to do so. And you again have that um, ability subjects versus trained subjects, just like in the advanced hunting aptitude, which are weighted twice what the trained subjects are. And there's nine ability subjects, including an optional blood track, because a lot of people need a blood track certification. And there are actually some states and provinces that will uh, certify a dog for blood tracking with a VHDF passing score. But uh, back to the to the main push of it, this is a true performance evaluation. The team is being evaluated. So you're going to have to be a good trainer, handler, and the dog is also going to have to have all of the abilities. And I, I always tell people, you think you got a great dog? Show me a performance evaluation on your dog. And I, I'll tell you, it's the, in my opinion, it's the toughest one-day test in North America in the versatile category. Because not only are you going to run an hour brace, you're going to do drags. You're going to do water work with three back-to-back -back subjects. In other words, you never leave the water. You're going to do a blind retrieve. You're going to do what we call an independent search. That's a search without a duck. And you're going to be asked to have the dog search a specific area, which is usually fairly large. And then you're going to ask to be to do a search behind the duck, which um, is the same search behind the duck that's in the advanced hunting aptitude test, which we didn't really talk about. But that's a that's where we're going to put a duck out, you know, 30, 40 yards from shore, have it swim off. And we're going to send the dog and we're going to evaluate the nose and the, the dogs, all the all the tools in the toolbox there to get the job done to find that duck. They pretty much need to find the duck. So on that one to do well, and um, each each one of those, you're also scored on backing in the in the field, and you know the backing can't just be a um, uh, obedience situation. We're we're scoring intensity and. And just like we are on pointing, you know, the dog's got to come in with some style and intensity and back its brace mate. Can't just stop and stand there, that type of thing. Um, so it's it's the full package. And um, I we were, uh, I think I mentioned we were out in PA a couple weeks ago, saw some really nice dogs out there. And I've, I've seen some some really nice dogs over the years running in that test and the good news about it is you can do it anytime you want you don't have to wait you know for once a year and drive to um ohio or missouri or wherever they have it to do it so and that was one thing you know i, I look at your levels of testing and of course you know that only gives you part of the puzzle you, you have to actually go look and read at the regulations and the rules of each uh, subject as you call it for the test and that's one thing that i kind of noticed that i'm like all right the performance evaluation there's steadiness which we you know navda requires and utility but the backing is done at that level you know you're not waiting once a year for that one test to where the backing and honoring is included 
it, it's kind of like you go from natural ability to your advanced natural ability to the quote unquote invitational level just for people that are NAVDA followers, you know, for them to track and kind of see where we're headed on this. Right. And that's where, you know, that doesn't make sense because most of us hunt with a, with a friend. Um, so we're usually hunt in a brace and you you want to have a dog that backs and is respectful of its brace mate and to leave that equation out of it. You know, and I understand why it happens. I mean, in the in Europe, um, they, they don't hunt a lot in a brace, and it's it's a smaller scale situation. But out here, we frequently hunt two, three people together, and yeah, the dog no 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 way to lose a friend quicker than to have your dog stealing points. <laughs> Absolutely. So. Uh, is there anything else on the performance evaluation we should touch on before we get into uh, the confirmation and structure evaluation? The, the only other thing I would would uh, mention on that is, like I say, we do offer that that blood track, which is it's about 400, 450 meters, and it's it's run very similar actually to uh, you know what they do in in the JGHV system and. Uh, you know, for the people that want to do that, uh, we saw one out in Pennsylvania, and um, it's it it's it's it can be a challenge. But for those people that are going to use a dog to recover wounded game, big game, um, it's a great test to determine if they're you know ready to ready to go on that if they have a competency. And I, I'm re- I'm really glad that you guys include that in your system because I do know talking to a bunch of people within NAVDA as well as outside of NAVDA, you know, it, it's kind of a uh, kind of elbow to the ribs a little bit to where we're the versatile hunting dog association, but there's really not much tracking. You know, there's nothing fur really on it. You know, there's you can bring fur into the drag if you bring it to the utility test. Uh, you have the pheasant track on the NA, but really that's it and so i have heard other people say they wish they added in the blood tracking at at a higher level or as a separate certification like some uh, organizations do so when i saw that on the website i'm like there we go there it is it's, it's included in your guys' system yeah it, it's it's nice to have and not that many people use it but there are people that that do want to use it and i suspect uh in the future more and more people will will utilize it, especially as, you know, recovery becomes more and more important. And as these local fish and game units accept, you know, the use of dogs to recover game, especially um, even if it needs to be on on lead, which, you know, our test is on lead. But so, yeah, so that that's available as well. Gotcha. So I have to ask, as we move into this confirmation and structure evaluation, if you guys don't have a register and, and a pedigree system, you know, what are you guys evaluating? What are you guys marking down? And, you know, how did this come about if you guys don't have an actual registry to keep track of all of it? We don't have a registry for individual breeds, but we do have a database to track all the scores. And as far as the confirmation goes um we we treat that the same as we do the field testing we scored on a on a 10 point system and 
we use the standard for the country of origin. So in most cases with most of the versatile dogs, that's going to be the FCI standard um, because that's where most of them were invented or bred. Uh, there's a few in the U.S. If somebody, um, you know, brings out a, a Chesapeake Bay Retriever or something like that, it'll it'll be a different standard. But most of them are going to be FCI. And quite simply, we we used to when we first started, we did a confirmation and structure evaluation. And people got confused because the breed clubs often have their own confirmation evaluation. That's confirmation to the breed standard. You know, does it have, um, does a Spinoni have the, the proper uh, top line in the back with the notch in it at the seventh vertebrae or whatever it's supposed to be? We don't know. But we, we so we now emphasize the structure, which has been, pretty well scientifically documented through uh, people like Pat Hastings, who has literature out there and they've done um, dogs, dog movement on x-ray machines and that sort of thing. So we simply, we go through the FCI standard from head to toe and we evaluate based on that particular standard but most of the standards are primarily structure and then they have a few particular things like they want certain colors or if a dog for example um i think you you will note in something like a knob to test if a dog only has if the dog's monorchid or a cryptorchid or something like that well some breeds don't care yeah. other ones do so for, we, for, we for those would, listeners that aren't familiar what you're talking about, you're referring to the eyes. And can, can you really, uh, real quick, kind of give give an example of both? Like, what was well, an example? Uh, yeah, uh, the the I was actually talking on those on uh, you know like an undescended testicle or whatever, oh, but on the sorry. eyes, yeah, yeah, no, but on the eyes, it'd be entropic or extropic, um, you know. And so, for example, in the Spinoni, they actually you know, they want a very loose eyelid. Um, and there are some breeds that want that. Um, and, uh, there are some breeds like the Bracco Italiano that does not want the dog to enter into a gallop. They want the dog to have that piston like trot. So we simply read the standard and we evaluate the dog and the coat and the confirmation and the structure of the dog based on the standard. And we do not have any intention to supersede what a breed club might do. However, a lot of people don't have access to, you know, a conformer from a breed club. So this, this gives people a lot of information about their dogs. Um, mainly, I, I, the, the three main categories or four main categories that people have no understanding about is the dog's top line. And, and how important that is and how it affects its gait, the dog's chest, depth of chest and width of chest, the dog's front shoulders, where they should be, where they should be laid back and at what angles and the dog's rear end and what angulation that should be at. And of course we go all the way down to feet and everything else, but 
these simple things, you start looking at it. People who've never looked at it before are, are amazed at, at uh, you know, some of the things they figure out. They've always noticed, oh, my dog looks like a, you know, torpedo going through the field, <laughs> pistoning off its back legs. Well, that's because it, you know, it's it's got such poor angles it can't, you know, it can't run properly. And the other, the other thing along with that is that uh, you end up finding, you know, different um, ways to help somebody who's a, either a breeder or maybe wants to breed and you find a major confirmation flaw that they think they had, they might have a great performing dog, but maybe the dog should not be a candidate for breeding because it, it has some type of genetic uh, confirmation flaw beyond just a, you know, overshot or undershot teeth. We look at uh, premolars and, premolar alignment and and all of those sort of things so it's really a great program and i'll just i'll just also add with that kind of lot we we've gotten so much flack i guess over that that people always ask me well why do you do that what you know they, they tease you about putting on your your dress or your tutu and going out and running your your show dog and that's not what it's about it's about a you know dog's uh, even go back to Delmar Smith and people like that who talk about dogs should have, you know, proper feet. They should have round feet. And they should be tightly knit and all of that. The bottom line is the dog that's put together properly and is comfortable in its body is going to live longer and hunt longer. So you make a major investment in that dog, in that puppy. Do you want to see it hunting when it's 16 years old? Or do you want to see it crippled up and washed out at nine years old? So that's why we look at the confirmation. Now, do any of the breed clubs, you know, like you said, that you're not you're not trying to take over for the breed clubs or say that you grade it a certain way that the breed clubs did it already. You're not trying to supersede them. But do you have breed clubs that will take your guys' evaluation, and is that good enough for them to check the box? Yeah, the um, – there are some, yeah, the the um, Large Munster Lander Group up in Canada. We use it for, um, there's another another little group I'm involved with, German Wirehair Alliance, um, and uh, they, they will utilize those numbers and that data. And, um, there, and there's been a few other clubs that have, have utilized it as well. So, yep. That's nice. Definitely, definitely out there. Well, as as we kind of start wrapping this up, Jeff, I, I got to ask. I came across this on the website, and I thought it was really interesting. To where you guys, as it, it, at least in the literature online, it says that you guys prefer to test using wild birds where possible. And if wild birds aren't available, then you go to pen raise. So, I, w- I want to know, like, how often are you guys actually testing on wild birds? Is that something that you guys aim to do? fairly often or consistent yeah it's it not not very often in the wet because out west you can you can get a fair number of wild birds in in certain locations and we have done a number of tests where we had uh, quail and pheasant and that sort of thing available and even um, up in Canada We've had um, grouse 
and Huns where dogs have pointed and been scored on and tracking, especially, you know, if you're in an area where there are pheasants and that sort of thing. But as you know, once you get, you know, out, out East, most of these events, like out here, we will run, we ran a test, uh, first part of May and where we run it is on public ground. It's wide open. You could go for miles. And there were a covey of huns out there and a couple of quail, I think, that were pointed. And But once you, once you go east, as you know, most of these events are held on, like, public uh, test grounds designated specifically for dogs. And you're not going to find any wild birds. Yeah. So um, that... I guess the, the point of that is we're not going to, I think a lot of people or a lot of organizations will discount a wild bird and say, well, no, that wasn't one we planted and they won't <laughs> score. So our, our point is if your dog works a wild bird, we're, we're going to score. Yeah. Now does a dog get discounted if a wild bird comes in and they don't handle it the same way that they handle a pen raised bird? I would assume yes, but I'm just curious. Well, it's going to factor into the equation, but the dog's going to have plenty of opportunities. Yeah. And, and like any, any organization that's looking at ability and aptitude, you know, major weight is going to go to the, to the best performance. Oh yeah, for sure. Jeff, is there anything else that we haven't touched on? I feel like we, we covered a, a wider range of uh, topics on this one, and you know we probably could have gone into more detail at each level on this, but is there anything that we'd be remiss if we don't touch on? Well, you're, Nick, you're right. There's a lot there. Um, but, uh, you know, I think, I think you've done a good job um, filtering through everything here and giving your listeners an idea of what's available. The only other thing I, I would add is that if if people are interested in participating, again, there's not a hundred chapters out there that you can just walk up. You're probably going to have to start your own club. And if you want to do that, it's it's easy to do and uh, very inexpensive. The the currently our our test structure, which is probably going to have to change if airline fares don't come down a little bit. We charge $450 for a test. Um, you have to provide the grounds, the birds, that sort of thing. But that 450 will get you the judges and um, all the data entry and the insurance and everything that goes along with that. So uh, if somebody's interested, just uh, have them get a hold of us and um, We'll we'll be happy to uh, accommodate them, and uh, other than that, I think it's uh, I think it's a great service that you're providing for the listeners to see that there are some alternatives out there, and um, VHDF um, is a I guess a very um, relaxed type organization. I'd say the judging is probably a little more comprehensive and and maybe a little more detailed but the system allows for a lighter a lighter footprint all in all uh you don't need as much gear as much grounds as many people that sort of thing so 
it's 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 a good alternative and uh i i don't think it takes away from any of the other groups in any way we're all on the same team we're all trying to get the same thing accomplished and that's you know better bird dogs better trained bird dogs and so exactly everybody's invited to participate yeah common goal and again for those that are interested i'll have the uh link to the website and the start a new club form and all that fun stuff. I'll have that in the show notes of this. And, and Jeff, I want to thank you for coming on. Like I said, at, at the start of this, it's really interesting. And, and just to let the listeners know that there are other options out there. And like you just alluded to, it, it doesn't have to be an either or thing. Uh, there's multiple organizations that all resemble very similar to each other. Uh, and all kinds of different walks of the gun dog world, right? So it's like, don't feel like you have to do one or the other. If you're curious, go check it out. Uh, you know, I, you can, I, we just, uh, test. I was just at, had uh, a lot of nod to people there. And some of them are actually, we're on the board of directors. So, you know, it's, uh, it, it's, it's no different than going to, uh, a NASTER event or AKC or UKC or something like that. It's just just one other tool in the toolbox. Yeah, and that's just it. It's just something else to have fun with your dog. And if you're if you're training for NAVDA and everything, and and you want proving grounds or just to knock something else out check out the test because looking through the rules and regulations and subjects and events it is a little different there's there's some very obvious similarities you know across the board because you know at the end of the day it's it's still dog training and hunting but ultimately you guys do have a couple different events so it could be something different and fun for you to do with your dogs absolutely absolutely all right jeff well we're gonna wrap this up again thanks for making time coming on and and telling us about the vhdf and uh, we'll check back soon yes sir you're very welcome all right everybody i hope you enjoyed that episode with jeff funk going over everything with the vhdf i think uh I've been wanting to do an episode like like that for a little while, uh, not just specifically on VHDF, but just really any other organization uh, outside of NAVDA. Because as you all know, if you've been listening to this podcast for any stretch of time, you guys know I'm involved in NAVDA, and, and I really enjoy NAVDA, and I love NAVDA. Uh, but there's other options out there. And, you know, NAVDA is not for everybody. I've heard from plenty of people that, you know, maybe they didn't have the best uh, interaction with NAVDA or experience with NAVDA, I should say, uh, for whatever reason. You know, there, there's a lot of missing context there for why uh, it wasn't the best fit for them, right? So that that's really each their own. But there are other organizations. There are other events and and stuff that you can do with your dogs be it you know vhdf which is as you heard uh just now it's very similar to navda in a lot of ways but also has a lot of differences and i I think one of the main differences that would appeal to a lot of people is that it isn't a test registry they have a database uh they track it in case you want to know it but it's it's not all about the papers and uh let's face it you know there's a, a growing uh trend within NAVDA to where there are a lot of people getting involved to where they only care about the papers, which is fine. I'm not, I'm not bashing them. This is America. Do what you want. But, uh, there, there are a lot of people that just, that they're doing it to create a hunting dog. And, uh, again, yeah, I'm not here to judge anybody's uh, motivation or what got them into the world. It's just, uh, just throwing out there another option, just like, uh, outside of the, the hunt test stuff. Uh, you can also get into field trials. You can get into shoot to retrieve trials. 
You can get into the confirmation stuff. You can get into stuff outside of, of hunting in the off season and do dock diving or, or any of those races and um, shuttle ball or fly ball, whatever they call it. There's a million things you can do with these dogs. And ultimately, we're just here to try and touch a little bit on everything. And uh, I'm going to stay extremely active in NAVDA. I'm very intrigued by VHDF as well. And like we said on the episode, it's not really an either or type of thing. So uh, there's a ton of people that are involved in both that, you know, if they're involved in VHDF, they're also involved in NAVDA as well. So if you're interested in just trying something new and uh, in addition to it, reach out and, and try it. You know, you might like it. Uh, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't see it being a, a competition. It's just two, two separate organizations that offer two different things they're just kind of similar in how they test things uh with that being said again you know let me know your thoughts if you think we're completely off base or you agree with whatever uh on this episode any of the previous episodes whatever reach out to us uh we are on facebook and instagram under gundog it yourself we have an email account at gundog yourself at gmail.com if you want to support the show by all means check us out on patreon at patreon.com forward slash gundog it yourself uh we're doing the little monthly video episode series with uh nick larson we have yet to name that, uh, at least at the time of this recording. But uh, check that out if you're interested. We have a lot of other ideas that eventually we're going to be throwing up on Patreon as well as bonus content. And so uh, by all means, go check out our Patreon and, and see if that's something that you'd be interested in, in signing up. If you uh, maybe don't want to uh, support the podcast that way, maybe you just like it and you enjoy it, uh, share with a friend. That's the quickest, cheapest, easiest way to support the podcast. Just hit that share button, send it to a buddy. Uh, we thank you. And uh, if if you haven't already, hit that subscribe button, and that automatically is going to put us in your feed. That way you don't miss any of the episodes that we have coming out, and we have a lot of good stuff coming your way. Uh, so with that being said, I'm going to wrap this up. Thanks for everybody tuning in, listening. Hope they got something out of it. I do not have a review of the week this week. I left my phone on you know, somewhere else, so uh, amateur hour over here. I will get a review out next week. But again, uh, thanks for everybody tuning in, and we'll check back next week. Thanks for listening to GDIY. If you enjoyed this podcast, please remember to take a moment to subscribe, rate, review, and share with a friend. Also, be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Gundog It Yourself. If you really enjoy this podcast and would like to contribute even more to future content, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Gundog It Yourself. Thanks again, and happy hunting. Everyone seems to have the same questions or concerns when they start trying to decide which kennel to purchase for their vehicle. Perhaps it's time to stop asking all the questions and just design the perfect setup that meets your exact needs. B-Pro Kennel specializes in designing and fabricating custom premier dog boxes handcrafted right here in the USA from high grade lightweight aluminum. They'll get you set up with the size dimensions, lighting, storage, battery boxes with solar charging, and anything else you can dream of. Stop stressing over buying the wrong setup, just have to replace it again and year go ahead and check out bprokennels.com and get exactly what you want if you're considering changing your dog's food soon then be sure to check out yukanuba pro performance their science-backed formulas are designed to take your dog to the next level of performance they also now have the new puppy formula to help your pups start strong and live active when looking at all the different food options remember yukanuba to help power their ultimate performance
Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Bob from Lone Ducks Gun Dog Chronicles podcast. I hope you just enjoyed the episode you just listened to. And if you did, I think you'll enjoy hopping on ours. We've got professional retriever trainers and upland bird dog trainers from across the country and world sharing their tips and tricks and great stories to help you and your dog get ready for the season. We'll see you there.